Hello and welcome to the MC Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host and founder of MC Real Estate, which is my firm of chartered surveyors, whereby I help landlords and investors with their asset management strategy to build portfolios that hit their goals. Today, I am really, really excited to welcome Peter McRae onto the podcast. Peter is a charter surveyor, arbitrator, former chair of the Conduct and Appeals Committee for the RICS, and was appointed the youngest ever member of the Lands Tribunal at the age of 44. The tribunal has the equivalent status to the High Court in England and Wales. Peter is also chair of the board for Lionheart. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Natasha. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm so excited for this. We've got a lot of things that um, we want to talk about, and I have to ask you. Um, one of the big things that the reason I wanted to invite you onto the podcast is earlier on in 2020, I um, went through first tier tribunal, and I've had so many questions about it. So many people um, who are terrified of it, scared about it, thinking I would never go that way, um, and I know that. You, you're the tier higher up, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, but appeals come to us from the first tier tribunal sometimes. Okay, so that's that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to ask all the questions about what goes on and help uh, my audience to understand it. The okay. first question is: Your career specialises in dispute resolution, something yep. most surveyors would run away from. How and why did you go down that career path? Um, I was in practice from, well, I, I left school and went straight to an estates department in a local authority in 1988, went into private practice in 1991, did my degree part-time at what was then Trent Polytechnic. Um, but fairly early on in my career in private practice, I realised that I want, it was all about earning fees. And if I was standing outside a property with, with keys that didn't fit, waiting for somebody that didn't turn up, doing agency work I wasn't really earning any money so I specialized in professional work as we used to call it and then um, further on specialized in leasehold advisory work uh, making references to arbitration representing clients arbitration or independent expert um, and after a while I decided I was really wanted to be the decision maker not not the person making submissions so I did a postgraduate diploma at the University College of State Management, or the College of State Management, as it was called in those days, um, which was, even now, looking back, the most challenging but rewarding qualification I did over two years. did a two-year part-time diploma, <coughs> culminating in a five-hour exam when you had to write an arbitration award and this sort of thing. Anyway, so that was all fine. And I then um, did some more arbitration exams, became a member of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators. And then I finally achieved what was then my goal, which was to get onto the RICS President's Panel of Independent Experts and Arbitrators dealing with commercial property rent review. Um, and I did that for many years um, before joining the tribunal in 2013. Um, so for a long time, I like to think of it as helping people solve their disputes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's and it's, um, my children have been fed and clothed on it for 15 years, really. 
how do you make that jump between do you apply for a position at the tribunal how does that work well uh, you do apply it is a competition it's a judicial appointment it's a full-time judicial appointment so um it is run by the judicial appointments commission it's, it's a competition um and i had had my eye on the lands tribunal for quite a while because it was about as far as you could go in dispute resolution as a charter surveyor um and i applied in 2012 thinking that it would be a dry run for an application again about 10 years later the job tends to come up there's only three of us and it tends to come up about every 10 years or so so um i put a lot of work into the application um but i was quite relaxed about it because i wasn't expecting to get the job um and so um i don't know how many people applied perhaps nobody did but anyway they took a chance on a young chap of 44 um but uh, as you said earlier um i think what might have helped was i used to chair conduct and appeals disciplinary committees for rics mm -hmm. um for surveyors or firms that were uh, had allegedly broken the rules um and so i was used to dealing with barristers standing up in front of me and i've heard enough, enough now mr blog sit down that sort of thing so the the two combined probably helped in in getting getting the post okay um, oh wow huge achievement uh, probably yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm pleased <laughs> it just it just feels like a normal job now well not a normal job but it feels just like the job you know yeah yeah um, <laughs> i can imagine when you've been in it for a while it's kind of um, yeah routine procedure well it, it is but it's still exciting you know and we we work in the royal courts of justice and even though we're all at home at the moment you know i never um go to work without thinking what a great building and the history and everything else and some of the members of the previous members of the tribunal you know you, you are you, you've got the bat on for now mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. you're following the footsteps of some great surveyors amazing um, so. do you ever feel you know when you're you're do you you know you're setting new precedents or precedents or yeah. do you feel that weight of this is what's going to be going on you know sometimes when a decision is is important but the importance or otherwise of it does not change how you approach it mm -hmm. you every they're all approached in the same sort of way and just because um you have got a feeling it's going to go to the court of appeal if, if somebody appeals your decision it might then go to the supreme court doesn't affect how you approach the job mm -hmm. So we don't, as a rule, well, we don't ever, really. I, I don't think, uh, as such, how am I going to make this decision appeal-proof? Mm -hmm. it, it, it is how am, I, how am I going to write a good decision so yeah. the parties can understand it and the sometimes the industry can understand it because they do apply our decisions and our decisions are binding on, for instance, the first-tier tribunal. So, um, But you, you get, like anything, you get used to it, really. Mm -hmm. um, but okay, I think I've had four or five cases in the supreme court um in the end which is interesting to watch <laughs> i can imagine i can imagine um you're also uh chair of the board for lionheart yeah how did you get involved with lionheart what made you want to do that um when you are a judicial office holder there is a limit to what you can do outside of work you can't hold 
any sort of other other form of commercial directorship or anything like that. And to an extent, you're so busy you haven't really got time for much else. But one of the things you can do is is, is a charity trustee. Um, and uh, I I gave up three, four, five roles I think when I joined the tribunal, including the disciplinary committee. Um, and so wanted something else to do. Um, and so um, applied to Lionheart to be a trustee. Um, and that worked out all right. And within a sh relatively short period of time, the chair resigned and I was persuaded to, to become chair of the board. But it's, it's you know, it's a team. We've, we've got a great team of trustees. Some very experienced, some new. We just recruited this year or last year. Uh, we work well with Davina and the senior leadership team, um, and it's been a very. Uh, it's it's always satisfying being involved with Lionheart, but over the last twelve months, particularly with COVID, we've been there. We've been watching the surveyors' backs. We, we were able to help. Um, the, the support team have been extremely busy. And what we had to do as the board was make sure we had set the framework sufficiently um, fluid to allow the staff and uh, to help people quickly mm -hmm. with what what they needed because some people were in extremely unfortunate situations. They'd been furloughed or they'd been made redundant or they were extremely anxious. Um, and... Uh, the Lionheart staff have been fabulous in the last 12 months, particularly. I couldn't, I couldn't thank them enough. I mean, they have helped me so much over the years. And even over the last 12 months, I get once a month coaching from the staff at Lionheart. And it transforms the way that I think about stuff. I could not yeah. thank, could not thank them enough. And I, I know that the coaching is something that I've only just I only realised that they did last year and I've been working yeah. with Lionheart for ages. And I <laughs> well, mean, it's fantastic. I don't, know, I don't know whether to be pleased or despair about that. But, no, no, um, no. I think, it's, I think it's a very new kind of... Yeah, know, we're trying to yeah. expand, expand what we do. Um, every, you know, surveyors see the box in their subs and they tick the box. And traditionally, it was, you know, if you lost your job, Lionheart would send you a cheque 10 years or so ago um now there's so much more to it proactive work um and i was particularly pleased last autumn that we expanded the range of beneficiaries that we mm -hmm. will help so we will we, we will now help students we will now help um apprentices um if somebody needs funding to go for an interview for instance we will help them with that um so it's really satisfying that that's what we're able to do and there couldn't be a nicer group of people working oh, that ab absolutely fabulous yeah yeah <laughs> i never get such a warm welcome as i do going to birmingham i know i can't go there right now but oh my gosh yeah. i love them all so 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 much the work are, lionheart does is phenomenal I, I can't say enough about them they're fabulous yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic guys i'm also going to put the link to lionheart again i know um I put this at, mo at the bottom of most podcasts, but I'm going to put it again. All you surveyors, all you students, if you need help, Lionheart are the place to go. And there is so much going on, webinars, counselling, coaching, support, phone them. 
because there's always someone incredible at the end of the phone who will help you out regardless of what you need. And I know that from firsthand experience. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of the scarier things that people are worried about when it comes to first uh, tier tribunal um, and then you know dispute resolution in property um as as a surveyor as a young surveyor i was always told stay out of the dispute resolution those with the deepest pocket pockets win don't go through litigation it's going to be a huge issue um but no one ever used to talk about adr and that's something that's come around probably i've heard more about in the last five to six years than i did um, 11 years ago when I was just starting out. So can you go through the difference between litigation and ADR? Okay. Um, well, um, depends on what type of ADR. So alternative dispute resolution is what we're talking about. And that can encompass arbitration, mediation, early neutral evaluation. Um, mediation is, is, is probably the one that people will have heard most of, mm-hmm. most about. Um, it is consensual. Um, we at the tribunal will encourage parties t- to try ADR before they come to us, certainly. Um, one of the advantages of ADR over going to court or tribunal, I suppose, is it's private. You are not necessarily bound by the result. Um, some, sometimes parties in ADR, in, in mediation, you know, you've been there for three days or whatever, and you almost feel obliged to, to do a deal which may be right may be wrong um it, it it does help people solve their disputes it's probably quicker than coming to the tribunal it's probably cheaper than coming to the tribunal not necessarily but probably um the, the tribunal can we can we can move fairly fast when we need to um and uh, but ADR is something that we would expect somebody to try. Um, some types of ADR arbitration, for instance, you have no choice but to go down the arbitration route from a lease, say. The lease might say it's arbitration um, and you are bound by the result. Now, if you um, say you are the owner of a block of property, you may not necessarily want ADR. You may want to be in the tribunal because you may want um, a precedent setting on one of your flats or, or, or whatever that everybody will know about because, it, because it's public. And then that might help you um, avoid uh, disputes on your other flats, say, mm-hmm. if it's a service charge or whatever. You know, it, so sometimes people, th- there is an advantage to people to being in a public forum and having the, the tribunal deal with it. Um, so sometimes litigation is better, mm-hmm. but uh, litigation for anybody in any sort of um, court or tribunal, you know, there is a risk. There is what what is known as litigation risk. So um, you need to think about fairly carefully which way you're going to go down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could you talk us through then the different levels? So you're at the lands tribunal and there's the first tier tribunal underneath the yeah, we, we are what everyone still calls it the Lands Tribunal, but it it isn't actually. So we were the Lands we were the Lands Tribunal from 1950, I think it was, and it was set up to help uh, deal with disputes on land where there had been slum clearance or war damage or whatever. 
Um, and over the years, the tribunal um, took on more and more jurisdictions, leasehold reform in the late 1960s. We used to deal with uh, rates on both commercial and residential. Don't forget before the council tax, there was a residential rateable value. Mm-hmm. Um, and in uh, 2009, all I can't remember how many tribunals of various sorts there were across the country, but many, many tribunals. And most of them were all brought into the unified tribunal system. Um, and they created two tiers. So there's a lower, there's a first tier tribunal, which is what probably most of your clients will have been involved with or heard about. First, what's, the, what's now called the first tier tribunal property chamber. That used to be the leasehold valuation tribunal mm-hmm. or the rent assessment panels. All that was brought in to the, what we, what we call the FTT. Um, and the lands tribunal came in at the upper level. So we are the upper tribunal and the upper tribunal is, is split into what they call four chambers and we are the upper tribunal lands chamber mm-hmm. so we um in comparison with other tribunals we are very small and very specialist um but the surveyors the charter surveyor members of the lands tribunal and the judges at the time were transferred into the court system tribunal system um and so we have two types of dispute we have disputes that come to us at what's called at first instance so it hasn't been to another tribunal underneath us before so for example compulsory purchase or um applications to modify covenants under section 84 they will come straight to us um and then other types of uh cases come to us on appeal mm-hmm. and they'll come to us either from the first tier tribunal or um, they'll come to us from the other type of tribunal, which for some reason did not come into the unified system, which is the valuation tribunal, which deals with um, uh, rateable values, commercial rateable values now. So, um, but the difference between those two is that anybody can appeal the decision of the valuation tribunal on business rates to us without permission. They can bring it to us, whatever happens. Uh, whereas to come to us from the first year tribunal, which is probably where your clients might be involved. You need permission from the first tier tribunal to bring it. Uh, and if they do not give you permission, you can apply to us to, have, to, to bring permission, uh, to, to bring the appeal to us. So um, it's a sort of two tier system. And we are on the top tier or the, the, the upper tier. Um, and because of that, as you said at the start, Natasha, we've got the same um we have the same powers as the high court in mm-hmm. england and wales so um we have a bit more um bite if you like and certainly in terms of case management we can make people turn up to court we can make them um produce documents for instance we don't we don't usually have to rely on that sort of severity but it's there if you need it and the parties know it's there if you need it um but uh it's 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 it shouldn't be scary coming. <laughs> That's a huge question that I get. I mean, yeah. what's the process? What is, what is the process? How do hearings take place? What's expected by either party? I guess it's it's scary when you get the, the notice that someone has a, applied and that you should be going, but... Yeah. Well, um, people shouldn't be 
scared about it. They will be dealing, they'll have judges and members who are experienced, either property judges, barristers, or charter surveyors that know about that sort of property. Uh, everybody will get a fair hearing. Everybody should go away thinking that they've at least had the chance to say their piece. They've had their day in court. Some people just want to be able to have their day in court. And uh, that's part of the sort of service that we, that we give people. Um, I'm not quite sure about the actual, I think the process in the, in the FTT is probably the same as ours. Um, whoever is bringing the appeal uh, or claim goes first. They may have expert witnesses. They may have witnesses of fact. They may represent themselves. They may have a barrister or a solicitor representing them. Um, they will give evidence under oath normally or affirmation. They may be cross-questioned, cross-examined by the other side's barrister. That's probably the bit where surveyors get most nervous about giving evidence in court. Um, and then the other side, the respondent or the, or the acquiring authority or whatever it is, the landlord or whatever, uh, to go through the same process. Um, and um, if they're legally represented or even sometimes if they're not, they can have the opportunity of summing up at the end um, I will always say to a litigant in person at the end, are you happy that you've told me everything you want to tell me? If you want to go and take five minutes, go and take five minutes, but don't, please don't go away thinking, oh, I wish I'd send, said this. So um, the FTC judges and us and the members are used to, increasingly so, dealing with lay people mm -hmm. who, who come to the tribunal by themselves. Um, and they are treated the same as uh, anybody else. And in fact, usually when there's a, if there's a barrister on one side and a layperson on the other, the barrister will go out of their way to make sure that the, that the person's had the chance to say everything that they want to say. And the barrister's got a duty to us to make sure that they alert us to any uh, precedents or case law which goes against them as well as for them if they're dealing with an unrepresented party. So. Um, it's probably like most things, it's, it's more scary in the anticipation than the event. But if you have any clients, Natasha, that are going to the tribunal, I would suggest, um, in, in, if we're not in COVID situations, go and watch. Go a few weeks before, go and watch a case, see what it's all about. At the moment, you can, certainly for us, people can log in and watch a hearing online and just get a feel for how it all works, really. Um, but where you've got a complicated case and two expert, experts, on, one expert on either side, charter surveyors, mm -hmm. I, as the charter surveyor, perhaps slightly naively, treat it in, in, in like this. How are we three charter surveyors between us going to help these two parties resolve their dispute? Yeah. Um, and when you've got two very good experts... Um, both of whom are giving you their honest view, backed up by proper evidence. Um, you know, it's a joy actually because it's, it's a, it becomes an intellectual problem then. Yeah. Um, it's not always the case, but but uh, one of the one of the beauties of my job, which keeps me interested all the time, is it's intellectually challenging. Um, and we sometimes have new jurisdictions that are added to our 
uh, batting order, for instance, telecoms. We've recently taken over telecoms, Electronic Communications Act. So uh, the government wants to roll out 5G and they've given um, operators the rights to, to make an application to put a mast up, for instance. Um, oh. And it's, it's what, what the compensation is going to be to the landowner. So um, the other surveyors and judges and, and myself, you, you have to get your brain around new legislation um and telecoms for instance at the moment is 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 topical because we've only been doing them for 18 months or so but you're making new law mm -hmm. and all of the operators and site providers and landowners organizations are all reading the decisions very carefully trying to interpret what they mean hopefully it doesn't need too much interpretation um and so you're, you're you're making the law, yeah. Um, so it's 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 um, it's very interesting. And but people shouldn't be scared about coming. It's not like on the television, you know. It's not uh, courts. You know, not just isn't just the tribunal. The courts are busy places. You know, you watch something on on the television, and it's the sort of sort of silent room with cross examination going on very carefully. Actually, in the in the real world, people are coming and going through the doors. The clerks coming in and out. You know, it's, they can be busy, busy places. Um, and certainly, when we're in in the in the RCJ, uh, often you will get people just walking in at the back and coming in, sitting down. They're on their day out in London. Let's go and have a look at a court case. Um, I'm never. Um, I don't begrudge the fact that after probably after about five minutes, they get up and go. <laughs> It's not very interesting sometimes to your average punter, but um, but or school children come in. You know, it's um, it, it's important that we hear cases in public, mm. um, and very very rarely we would hear a case, um, usually by consent of the parties, where where the parties come to the tribunal want you to effectively act as an arbitrator. Only on those occasions will we will we close the door sort of thing okay. um, so at the moment anybody can contact the tribunal I'm, I'm sure this is probably the same for the first tier and say can you give me the login details for the for the zoom uh, zoom case today and, and watch it at home wow um, and just yeah get a feel for it if, you, if you're going to come get a feel for what it's like because when you take away the unknown things get less scary mm -hmm. and you start realizing where you kind of fit into the whole process yeah how it works and and um, the sorts of questions you might be asked by the other side or by the tribunal members um with different different judges and members have different habits and different ways of, of you know some wait till the end to ask the questions some like to ask questions as we're going along um, I'm a little bit of an asking a question as we're going along type member just only to clarify yeah. Um, what we're talking about and um certainly in a multi-day case you, you you can sense after a while that the parties relax a bit mm -hmm. you know and and because they've got used to the style of it uh whereas for the first few hours everyone's a bit sort of wide-eyed really and you know are we going to get shouted at or whatever you know but um <laughs> so, but it's not like that uh, no. No, no no bullying goes on you know you might get some stiff questions in cross-examination but um in my experience nobody is sort of um 
denigrated or made to feel stupid. You know, it isn't, it isn't like that really. It doesn't help us as the decision maker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they need, but, but people's evidence is tested. You know, you need to test the evidence. So do you think then uh, that when people, how prepared the people need to go be when they come through the tribunal process? I mean, what should you, we're talking about, we've talked about ADR and yep. the potential of going through ADR, but if you don't do that and you come through the tribunal process, how, what preparation would you expect people to be doing beforehand? What needs to happen? Um, well it depends on the sort of case if okay. if if um if you're a well let's talk talk to our charter surveyor audience for a moment yes if you if you're a surveyor and i learned this myself at an early point if you were writing an expert witness report you've got to assume that at some point you might end up in the witness box mm-hmm. as a default and more often than not you won't but you've got to assume that you will Keep all of your records, keep your site notes, um, make sure it all makes sense, and then um, you are more prepared. But but the best thing is, you could, one of the best pieces of evidence you can have is a contemporaneous note. You know, I suppose now I went to see the property on this date, here's my note, this is what it said, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have bugbears about things, you know, make, make sure, if, if you're doing a, a a report that you know is going to go into the tribunal as a, in, in the bundle, uh, please make sure, you know, for instance, if it says edged red on the attached plan, the plan isn't black and white in when it's been photocopied, you know, or um, I think people tend to tweak their evidence. So you'll get a schedule of evidence in an appendix and it doesn't match what's in the body of the report because they've tweaked it, but then they've forgotten to tweak it in the, sh- in the schedule of evidence and that sort of thing, you know, so... And certainly my colleagues and I will both go through that with a fine tooth comb and make sure it all makes sense. Well, you say here this, but here it says this. Just, you know, tell us the story. Um, So preparation is key. If you've got legal representation, the barristers will make sure that, you know, you are properly prepared, but they're not allowed to coach you. Um, It's your evidence. One of the best things surveyors can do is, and sometimes we insist upon it, is meet your opponent do a schedule of agreed facts, do a schedule of agreed evidence, agree whatever you can agree, but there's no harm in saying, well, we just can't agree these parts, and this is why we can't agree them. That's There's nothing wrong with that. If you could agree everything, you wouldn't be in the tribunal. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will expect people to cooperate and not take sort of time-wasting points. And if you're, if you're a litigant yourself, what would be my biggest tip? You don't need to put the kitchen sink in. You know, people tend to, lay people tend to put a lot of information in, you know, lever arch files full of stuff, um, which isn't always helpful. Focus, focus on the argument, focus on the law. Uh, you might not like the other side, but the tribunal doesn't need to know a history of, of how you've fallen out with this person. We need to just focus on what we are, we are actually dealing with and tell us those bits. Mm-hmm. Um, um lots and lots of uh lay litigants are extremely competent and give a very good case and because certainly with us you are dealing with an expert tribunal we're not arbitrators and we're not a county court judge so 
it, your your case doesn't need to be perfect for us to prefer it necessarily to the other sides because we can make our own decision mm-hmm. on the evidence about what we think the rent should be or what the leasehold and franchise price or or whatever but you've got to put the information clearly have some justification for it don't get too emotional um and just just tell us honestly what tell us your story tell us what it's about um when uh, in the royal courts of justice we sit in this very sort of formal courtroom halfway up the wall sort of thing away from people but if i've got two lay litigants in court i'll tend to go and sit on the clock's bench in front of them it's less intimidating you're sitting more sort of across a table and you just need to say to people when they've calmed down from going through security and everything else tell me your story tell me your side of the story just tell me all about it don't leave anything out um and as i said earlier i will always say to people are you sure you've told me everything you want to mm-hmm. now now's the time to tell me mm-hmm. um, and most often people just want to have the sense that they've had a fair hearing that's really yeah. what people people want you know they've had the opportunity to tell you mm-hmm. and that, 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 that's important and I can imagine by the time it gets to you, usually there would have been quite a history of the dispute going on beforehand. Um, it depends on the on the depends on the uh, what the jurisdiction is. Can can be mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes years, sometimes um, somebody's inherited a situation. You know, they, they've they've purchased a flat which has got the benefit of a notice, and then they're bringing it, and it's sort of newish to them. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes it's it's relatively new. It depends really. Mm-hmm. Quite often, quite often, there's there's a bit of history. So, does um, leasehold enfranchisement come to you first, or that goes through the first tier tribunal? It goes to the first tier. Yeah. And then, at what point would it come to you if, if the premium isn't agreed, or? Uh, well, it, no, it would come to us if they don't like the FTT's decision. Okay. On the premium, say whatever, okay. and they uh, and importantly that they can persuade either the FTT or us, that there is a reason for bringing it to us. Okay. Not, and it can't just be, I don't like the figure, I want somebody else to look at it. In a similar way, Natasha, that people can only appeal one of my decisions to the Court of Appeal if I've got the law wrong. So there, okay. needs, there, needs, to be, there needs to be on a point of law or there's a general public policy type, or I suppose if I've got it so wrong, then no, that no reasonable surveyor could have come to that decision. Um, but they can't. That, that's to an extent the pressure that the surveyor members of the tribunal are in, because nobody can just say, "I don't like your figure." Mm-hmm. And we are the last stage at which facts are found. And so, I suppose I said earlier, we, we're not. We don't normally have an eye to whether something's going to go to the court of appeal or not. We do in a sense that if we think it's going to go, we will make sure we're careful that we have found all the facts that we need to find mm-hmm. because the Court of Appeal will rely on those and the Supreme Court will rely on those as well because they don't have that function. Okay. The Court of Appeal, Supreme Court, they don't hear any evidence. We're the last stage at which evidence is heard and it's important that we set out how, what facts we have found based on the evidence that we've heard. Um, okay. And so um, when, when I was interviewed for the job at the tribunal, one of the questions was, how would you feel about being appealed? And after a moment, I said, well, 
I would feel uncomfortable sitting in a jurisdiction where I couldn't be. You know, people need somewhere to go and we're not all perfect. People get things wrong. Um, and so there's no, it sounds a bit strange um, when you say that to people that aren't in the system, but it, it is part of the system that you know a case is going to go further. You know, for some, so for some cases, it's gone to the first year trial and it's come to us, gone to the Court of Appeal, gone to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's, you know, that's, that's part of the system. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with being appealed, you know? How, okay, anybody listening to this <laughs> who, because there are so many people who think they have to be perfect in everything and not that hold their hands up and say, oops, I missed something. If, if, please, can you just listen that, like, it's okay. We don't have to be perfect all the time, although I'm sure Peter is perfect and understands a lot of, like, everything. But I just hope that people listening, because there's a lot of pressure on the moment, and I'm going to say this about my students that are just listening to you. You've made, you've made a point, because a lot of my students listen to this as well. There's this huge thing in the industry at the moment, and I'm going to ask you about it, because this is, this is very topical, about having to be perfect and make the right decision all the time when you're out, uh, in the field, looking at um, problems and disputes. And of course, like with COVID, there's a lot of that going on at the moment. We've got tenants not paying rent, um, you know, difficulties in charging service charge. Everybody's very quite like frazzled. And I have a lot of students who are very fearful at the moment of just making a decision at all. Yeah. Because yeah. it could be the wrong decision. Well, and I think I'm going to ask you, what would you say to that? Because <laughs> well, we, we, we um, what, what your job is, is to make a decision. Uh, you do your best. Um, but because we are a specialist tribunal, we have, we do get some, I'm not sure whether deference is the word, but the, the Court of Appeal is, is very reluctant to interfere with a specialist tribunal's mm -hmm. decision, even if they might themselves have come to a different decision. Mm -hmm. that isn't that that isn't the test it is whether we have come to a reasonable decision on the basis of the evidence and the law so um yeah make a decision don't don't be scared if you you know you, you will only learn from your mistakes if you're a student get it in and see do your best you know but but um the, don't be late you know you know you're learning in my day at the ucm you get 20 percent of you are late so it could be perfect and late that isn't as good as nearly perfect and on time you know <laughs> i think that's something that um has been really interesting over the last couple of years for you to for you to say that's very topical for things that i've been thinking about how can we help uh, people not make the not make the perfect decision but make a decision based upon everything that they know about a situation <laughs> because yeah we don't know everything unfortunately no it's no, no, nobody does uh, and that's how the law develops so what process would you recommend anybody who thinks they may be in a property dispute go through to help resolve the situation where would you advise people to start go and talk to the other side communication is key go and talk um when we have a dispute and we um make the parties um draw up a schedule of issues or a schedule of agreed facts and facts not agreed actually it's only at that stage sometimes that they really realize what the other side's case is and sometimes you could just not even have to get that far 
if you just um, don't assume you know what the other side are thinking or what their motives are, particularly with residential property, you know, um, boundary disputes, when we, we don't deal with those, but they can get very emotive because you're you're always sort of assuming the worst. So um, go and talk to the other side. Try and be reasonable. Um, if you've got a dispute that is that is um, suitable for it, one of the best things you could do is to go to what's called early neutral evaluation. So you would go to a lawyer or a surveyor, perhaps a retired surveyor from the tribunal or whatever, and you could both say to them, what do you think to this? And they will give you a, a, an answer. It isn't necessarily the answer that we would come to, but it's probably something like, you know, uh, in my view, the tribunal would come to this decision. Uh, that's a form of ADR. Um, and so and, and sometimes people, that, that's enough for people to think, well, there's no point in me spending any more money. How would um, you approach someone? about that where would i find that sort of uh i bet our rics have got a list of people yeah um rics are developing i mean i'm not that involved in anymore but they are developing a range of different dispute resolution um sources that people can go to it's not just commercial rent review Mm -hmm. um so or or, you know lawyers um big firms surveyors will will have people um Mm -hmm. so you know, or, or somebody that, that sits perhaps sits part time for the FTT might do it. Um, yeah. They might have be careful about conflicts and stuff. But sometimes that's the, one of the best things. You go to a joint expert or, or early neutral evaluation. Somebody else who isn't involved, who doesn't live with it day in day out. That's the problem with with residential property. You can't get away from it. Um, and somebody yeah. can can sometimes give you a fresh pair of eyes. When I was in practice didn't do that many residential disputes, but they were always, always more highly charged than, for instance, a dilapidation dispute on a factory. Mm-hmm. Because the factory only can go at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon and have a weekend at home and forget about it. Well, you can't forget about it if your your landlord lives upstairs, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> completely difficult. agree. Really, really difficult. Yeah. So final question. How do you see dispute resolution changing over the next few years, if you see it changing? Physically, uh, I think people have, you know, we've, we've all had to move online a lot quicker than we might have done. Mm-hmm. Um, the judiciary, my colleagues, you know, we've, we've come on leaps and bounds in 12 months. I, we're, we're probably where we would have been in five years' time had it not been for COVID. Um, but I think we will be keen to get back to um, being in court as soon as we can. Yeah. Other than, for instance, we, we hold um, case management hearings, Natasha, sometimes it will take half an hour to set, to set a case up for later in the year. And perhaps rather than dragging everybody down to London, we might do case management hearings online because it's, it seems to have worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and So case it, management is preceding the actual... Tribunal. Yeah, we don't we, we don't always have one, um, mm-hmm. but we have one in big cases or in special cases where you want to just see what the dispute's about. You want to nail the parties down to dates. They want dates from the tribunal as to when they're going to hear it so they can plan, get barristers and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sometimes do what we call CMH's case management hearings, 
um, early on in a case just to set the scene. Um, but it, from our point of view, uh, jurisdictions are constantly evolving. And um, for instance, I'm not sure, I don't know what will happen to our leasehold enfranchisement work with the government's announcements about how they're going to change that. That might affect what we do, I don't know. Um, as I said earlier, we have we have new jurisdictions that suddenly appear. Telecoms, for instance, we've we've just recently taken on, uh, as have the FTT, um, uh, civil penalties for for landlords with um, um, houses in multiple occupation. So it's, it it changes, and you've got just got to get used to the, to things. And certain and other jurisdictions go into decline a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't had as much rating work, for instance, in the last 12 months, partly because um, the valuation tribunal haven't sat, but partly I think check challenge appeal has reduced the number of appeals. So, um, you know, it's out of your hands. You've just got to deal with with, with what you've got. The, the government tend to like tribunals because um, it's efficient and, and they can deal, parties can deal with specialists. And so often things to do, anything to do with property are given to either the first two or us to deal with. Yeah. Um, but the principles will remain the same. Okay. Fantastic. Peter, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's great to chat to you. I hope, hope some people, it's been some help to some people. I think it really has been. I mean, even for me, I've been asking you a question because I'm just interested in it. I, I'm interested in the process. And I think the more that, we understand about it kind of the easier it is for us to work out where that fits within portfolios because often when you're nervous about something you try and put it out the way and um actually it seems like it can be you know really useful but you know go and try and sort the dispute out see what's going on and then you know use it where you need to use it i think i think the main takeaways natasha from this evening are um Try to avoid it if you can by communication. Mm -hmm. Try alternative dispute resolution. But if you have to come to the tribunal or the first tier tribunal, don't be scared about it. You'll be dealing with judges and expert judges and members who are experts in what they're doing. Yeah. And you and most importantly, you will get a fair hearing. Mm -hmm. And on that note, I'm going to finish this podcast, Peter. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody who's listening. If you've liked this podcast, please do make sure that you rate and review it and also share it so that other people get the goodness too. Thank you for listening to me today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.